0: What's up, guys? Welcome to Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin Gallagher, and this week's podcast, believe it or not, is brought to you by TV. Nah, just kidding. That is my own YouTube channel that I'm plugging. I'd like you to go and check it out, though, if you don't mind. TV over on YouTube. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game playing out unconsciously your brain and in the mind of everyone else in the market the key to success in this game is to master it and to get control of your thought process and your emotions last week's episode i talked about the dour topic of the tough decisions and the actions that need to be taken to save your business during this recession and if you're in a real estate business and you've got some tough decisions my heart goes out to you been there have done that but this week i am actually talking about the slightly more upbeat topic of the decisions and actions and perhaps inactions that you will be taking in the next couple of months that will potentially transform your lives transform your business and just turn everything around for the positive this is an amazing business when you get it right And if you get it right, I mean, you can become millionaire very, very quickly. It's something that I've experienced firsthand. I've also experienced the negative sides to this business. So and I talk about both of those in this episode and on this podcast in general. So timing, let's talk about timing. First of all, the business of property, investing and development. Timing is absolutely critical to your success. The old saying that the three most important factors in real estate are location, location, location. I've heard it a thousand times. I don't entirely disagree with it, but it's not necessarily the case when it comes to this time of uh, this cycle in the market. I've bought amazing properties in beautiful locations, like top locations, only to suffer huge losses with those properties. And it was all because of the timing. I bought at the top of the market. And then when the banks got sort of shirty with me about the amount, the level of borrowing and stuff, I didn't have enough money to step up. And so I got turfed out and they sold the property for a fraction of what I had paid for it. So timing is absolutely critical. Don't ever forget it. Location and timing are the two things. And also, I guess you're, your capital and your loan structure and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, towards the end of this episode, I'm actually gonna discuss some of the subsectors of this industry that I'm expecting to outperform in the current market. So you stay tuned and I'll be telling you some of the areas that I'm watching and uh, looking to invest in myself. Right now, I wanna talk to you about mindset and in particular confidence to invest in the months ahead. As I mentioned, Timing is critically important in this game, and if you invest at the bottom of the market, you can do exceptionally well. You can potentially look be looking at 5x to 10x to even 20x. Now, that doesn't sound too realistic, but I've actually done deals that resulted in a 20x return in less than two months. Now, they were very particular unusual deals and they don't come around very often but i'm going to actually talk about my best deal in a future episode where i i I basically made a 20x return in eight weeks so stay tuned for next episodes in that case anyway not covering today i'm not going to be covering how to buy the right property i'm not going to be covering all of the factors that go into determining what is a good deal i'm getting into the mindset side to it because that is critical the deal will make sense when the deal makes sense but if you don't have the mindset if you don't have the confidence you are going to let those deals pass you by because the market will sway your decision making process now i'm also going to do an episode in the future on risks and rewards and around selection and things like that but let's get into this whole confidence stuff you see Investors get swayed by the herd, and it's critical that you have the confidence to steer your own course through the next couple of months and years. You see, when you start listening and taking advice from others, you start asking advice, you get mixed messages. You you ask someone who's going through, say, a tough period in their life, and or who's particularly uh, conservative, he's gonna try to convince you to do nothing, to hold fire, sit on your hands, You don't know what their motivation is. If their motivation is different to yours, then why are you listening to their advice? It's completely, it's unhelpful. It's just gonna confuse you and it's actually gonna get you into a position where you actually start to question your own decision-making. Now, by that same measure, if you ask somebody who is super optimistic, super gung-ho, wants to go and spend money right away, he will try to convince you that now's the time to go And he might even try to get you to participate in his deal. Again, you just don't know what is his motivation. What is his risk tolerance? Maybe the guy comes from a rich family and maybe he has a fallback plan that we don't or something of that nature. So you see, motivation, risk tolerance, behavior, mindset, all of this is unique to everyone. And many of the world's most successful investors are contrarians. They ignore the herd, they have their own criteria, they figured it out, they are totally comfortable with it and they have this confidence that is hard to match and it's often difficult to pull this off yourself because as a human being, we are social animals. We look to our peers for approval and when somebody is behaving in a way that runs contrary to the crowd or to the herd, their views are often disagreed with, they'll try to convince you against it and you'll often see this uh, with family and friends when you if you decided that you're going to go and start your own business and you want to ask mom what do you think mom should i do it you might find that despite meaning well your mom is going to try to turn you off and she's like oh you've got a good job and you got this and you got that and why would you like to risk it all and start your own business again risk tolerance motivation everything is different even your mother who has your best interests at heart so to stand up and have that confidence Often it requires experience, and for you younger listeners that are uh, tuned in today, you may struggle with this because obviously experience comes with years of working it. If you're starting out, you don't have that experience, so I'm here maybe to help steer you in the right direction. You've got to overcome that with hard work, and I don't want to sound like Gary V now, but hard work, preparation, knowing your criteria, knowing your facts, knowing your data, having done your research, having done, having looked at all the comparable data. In short, you know your shit. And if you know your shit when you're out there looking in the market, first of all, you exude confidence to the people that you're dealing with, which is important. You wanna have confidence when you're dealing with a bank, you wanna have confidence when you're dealing with investors, and you also wanna have confidence when you're dealing with a seller. Because if a seller is seeing you not in any way as swayable, then they start to kind of think geez maybe this guy knows something I don't maybe I should sell and uh, or, or of course that could go wrong as well but I'm talking about a market where we're in free fall and when a market is in free fall everyone is trying to exit you can also find yourself starting to believe that bad news headlines and the prevailing economic climate can start to shift and sway your own beliefs so stay firm, stay focused on your criteria. Your criteria will tell you whether it's a good deal, not the swaying market. You know, you watch, if you watch the stock market, you'll see, you know, Apple has gone up 5% today, it's gone down 5% tomorrow. Does that mean that the the company is worth 5% more tomorrow because it's, you know, they've done something that creates 5% more value? Of course not. It is simply the fact that the market changes uh, in microseconds in nanoseconds the stock market is just ridiculous but it's a perfect example of herd mentality soon as people believe that something is out of favor they're all selling it's the underlying value of the asset that's important and that's what we're talking about here if you can work out the underlying value and that's where your criteria is as long as you're satisfied that you have good criteria that your investment stands the scrutiny then you should be confident you should be able to buy without looking over your shoulder worrying are you doing the right thing and don't be asking people's opinions because they're only going to try and sway it if it happens to diverge from their own view you do your work you do your research and all of that and you'll be in a good position during the recession you need to work flat out uh, because these prices will not last forever and so your ability to secure 10x returns is getting fewer and farther between the longer you go on. So take a look at the present COVID-19 situation. There's no doubt that there is gonna be distressed sales coming, and you need to be prepared for these with your funding. So, first of all, do you have capital sitting around ready to deploy? If you have your own capital, you're in a far better position, and if I were you, I would hold very firm on that. Do not release anything right now, because the market is going to fall further and anyone who releases deposits now on properties and stuff i think they're actually going to end up getting burned now you can see the stock market has bounced back i would ignore that i do think that the the financial markets and the genuine economy the real general economy have completely detached from one another and you know decisions are made in nanoseconds over in the financials wall street type um, stock market and you've got people Looking at figures, oil this, oil that, and next minute the price drops by thirty percent. The reality is that hundreds of thousands of people have been let go. There are retailers going bankrupt all over the place, and uh, I mean, Debenhams was one, but you're going to actually have a whole rake of them. I mean, I know J Crew in America was going bust, and I, I believe. People are expecting maybe Gap to go bust. And I don't know about Super Dry, but that was one company that was expanding all over the world. Victoria's Secrets were, on, were talking about disimproving revenues. It could well be that there will be a bit of a, a retail fallout in the next while. And so a lot of confidence is going to fall in the market and you're going to see price drops because of that. So you need to be primed up and ready. And if I were you, I would be meeting with banks and investors. Uh, over the next couple of weeks and months, and just priming them. You're not asking for money, but you just want to talk about opportunities. You're ready to go and jump on opportunities, and you wanna know what the bank terms are gonna be, what the conditions will be, what they'll be looking out for. Try to get on side with them so that you're not seen as somebody who's a bit too eager and not too realistic. You need to come across as somebody who understands the game, And that is not going to be seen as living in the clouds and thinking that you're going to just drop in and get the same pricing that you did before or that you'll get the bank terms that you had before. I believe all of the banking terms are going to start to shift now and you're going to have less competition amongst banks. And so arrangement fees and all of those kind of fees that are usually there, they're going to start increasing again, I'm pretty sure. Another piece of advice, and it comes from the old Warren Buffett school, is to be greedy when people are scared and be scared when people are being greedy. And that is something that I have learned to live with uh, very much in the last couple of years. It means sitting on your money now and just waiting for the market to fall off. There's always a lag in the property market because it takes time for this, for the reality of the situation to filter through. Back in 2008, I can remember seeing this fall in confidence because of the crash of the financial markets. And it wasn't long before people stopped buying cars and then it wasn't long before car dealerships started talking about um, shutting down and and things like that. And then you got into the banks started to get into big trouble because they had loans out to these car dealerships and stuff. So it was this domino effect, but it did take time for it to happen. And one of the things that happens is that once the market falls and once people are caught by the re-falls and the banks you're going to find that the banks start stepping in and forcing them to sell and there will be price resistance for a period of time like i said at the beginning your ego gets in the way it works on both sides of the fence here and you're going to have a situation where the person who's selling the property still has his ego tied up in it will not accept the lower price and you just have to sit back now i've been talking to some people recently and they were saying that they would um, They would like to write to the seller and like show him all the information and and try to educate him. And I was just saying, listen, don't waste your time. It's nothing to do with educating him. It's to do with his ego. And nothing you put in front of him will convince him until the market has kind of shifted to the point where the guy recognizes his own situation himself. And when that happens, he will suddenly, what I call, capitulate. And price capitulation is where it all changes. And I saw 2008... 2009 you had big huge investors coming into Ireland looking for bargains and there was no bargains because the banks had all the properties tied up there was nobody selling and you couldn't get yourself a bargain even though there was you know there was nothing happening. It wasn't until around 2011 when there was literally blood on the streets uh, financially and Kennedy Wilson came in and they started buying up these huge loan books and the banks were putting out property deals you know 800 900 million for properties that would have been worth four or five billion a couple of years before and these guys swept in and did it all that's when the property auctions started and you had things like all and they would have a thousand properties on a saturday for sale and you could go in you paid a deposit or you paid a you paid some sort of a fee to get in and you went there and you could actually bid on property and the reserve price was set extremely low and you could end up picking up you know, a property for 60000 or 80000 And I was involved in a partnership that bought a student housing um, scheme down in uh, Carlo and it was an incredible deal at the time. I can remember... And this was a property that had been valued at 1.3 million or something like that. And we managed to buy it for 370,000. And the income coming from it was something like 90,000 a year um, from from all of the apartments. So we ended up in a situation where I think it was immediately on day one, it was like 27% yield and um, through active management and things we got that up to 30 or 40 percent um so within three years this property had paid for itself those are the kind of deals that i'm talking about but they do not happen until capitulation has started to kind of filter into the market and a lot of people will be out there holding on to their fantasy price and they just sit waiting for you know, La La Land la, to come along, and you know, for them to ba- be bailed out, and everything's going to go back to normal, and they'll be rich again. And yeah. unfortunately, it takes a while for people to kind of accept the reality. And I myself went through that whole bag of emotions where you think that you know you're 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 rich, and then suddenly you start to kind of see, oh damn, I've I've gone negative. And then it starts to get worse and worse. And you don't accept, you kind of think, okay, the market will bounce back and I'll go from negative back to positive. And eventually that took place. But it took place over such a long period of time that I was forced to sell a number of assets in the meantime. And they were assets that I didn't necessarily want to sell, but I had been denying some of these issues myself. And so sure enough, I was forced to sell assets that I preferred not to have sold, but There you go. You live and learn. Just remember the emotions are the big killer in this whole business. And and whether it's your emotions or the person that you're buying from or the seller who is trying to sell the property, there is a huge amount of emotion and ego tied up when there is any kind of a price drop on the cards. So let's get into some of the subsectors of the market that I think are going to outperform the rest of the market. I do think that, first of all, it's kind of obvious, but there's going to be a flock to Prime. And uh, you know, you hear the old saying, flock to quality. Uh, that is exactly what's going to happen. Prime is going to suddenly be all the rage. Now, it may fall off in value during this period of time, but most investors. What I, what they're going to do is they're going to stop looking at the secondary and the, the tertiary markets, and they're just going to look to the better markets, and that is going to mean that pricing opportunities come about from the secondary markets and the the stuff that is easier for us smaller investors to get in and do. The big focus for me is has got to be warehousing, and the reason I say that is kind of obvious, but every single retailer in the world is who has a bricks and who has a bricks and mortar store is struggling if not going out of business. The shift to digital is going to be massive. My own sister is actually a small um, online business, uh, has a small online business, and she doesn't have a store, so she doesn't hasn't over any of the overheads that other stores do, but her business is um, is booming in during this lockdown, and it's because people can't go out, and so they're looking for somebody like her who has the business to just come along and say, yeah, sure, I can send that to you, And that's it. So what does she need? She needs storage. Now, up until recently, it was a very small business. So she had most of the stuff stored in a storeroom in their house. But recently they took a small lockup kind of warehouse type place. There is going to be a definite shift by every single retailer who survives this into having storage space. And it may not be individual storage space. It could be the larger stuff and it could be those companies like Shopify and these kind of drop shipping companies where you just basically borrow space from their warehouse. You've got uh, FBA fulfillment by Amazon. That's a huge business for some people. And so warehousing, I think, is here to stay (laughs) as if it's ever gone away. But I think it's about to become extremely attractive to a huge number of people. And I just think there's going to be... a Uh, you know a flood of interest in that while the same amount of interest in retail is going to disappear now that in itself perhaps that's the opportunity repurposing of retail if you've got everyone running a mile from retail what can you do with that unit and uh, it's a good question I don't have the answer but you know there's going to be entrepreneurs out there who figure that out I have seen here in the city of Dublin where I live there's a place called chq and that was it's an old warehouse that's it's about 200 years old and when they built that warehouse it was a bonded warehouse for you know a century or something like that and then you know they stopped doing these shipments in these big old tall ships and the place came in went into disrepair and it ended up kind of a wreck a ruin for for decades but Around about 2005, it was acquired and it was renovated uh, at a very high cost to a very high standard, very, you know, beautiful renovation, a lot of care and attention went into it. And then along came the recession and somebody picked that property up for, you know, half of what the actual construction and refurbishment costs. In fact, I think it was one third. They bought it for about a third of what the place had cost to renovate and refurbish. And it was sitting completely empty. It was a retail place. And so not a lot of people are interested in retail. But along came a young entrepreneur happened to know called Patrick Walsh. And he had an idea to start put a co-working business into it called Dogpatch Labs. And Dogpatch Labs is this thriving tech co-working place. And what you have at this stage, I don't know how many hundred startups they're all working away and they have filled this space patrick has had to go out and expand the space and i think he's actually partnered with the owner of the building and now he has something like twice the amount of the original amount of space or maybe three times and what he's done though is he's actually revitalized that entire building because there are so many young entrepreneurs in an environment that's right in the middle of the docklands which is kind of ground zero for all the tech companies in ireland These young startup entrepreneurs want to be in that environment. And so they're there, they're working all day, head down in their laptop. What do they want? They want a quick lunch. They want to meet somebody for coffee. So what sprung up outside? Tons of coffee shops and uh, sandwich bars and restaurants and things of that nature. And suddenly this place that was, nobody was going near it. It was very, very hard for them to find tenants. You would have had to pay tenants to come into this building along they come now and it's you know there's a waiting list to get in and to get to to become one of the tenants serving food or drinks or coffees or whatever to all of the young entrepreneurs so there's an opportunity uh, that is also a former warehouse opportunity that was turned into a retail so it's kind of contrarian again but it's just an idea the shifted from digital the shift to digital is going to change a lot of um, what we all consider to be traditional real estate now The area of expertise in my line of work is um, office space and the office sector. And there's definitely been a short-term impact. The the business park that I run is currently almost completely empty. We have almost no tenants in the place at all. All other staff working from home. So that is most definitely gonna have an impact. But don't forget, rent reviews uh, are usually five years apart and leases tend to be 10 to 15 years in length. And so I don't believe this COVID-19 is thing is going to go longer than a year or two. And when it does, you know, when they find a vaccine or when they figure out the cure or treatments or whatever it is, then people are going to start to return to normality. And so I'm not sure you're going to see an immediate shift of the way the office is run. I've seen lots of articles saying, you know, oh, it's the end of the office as we know it and stuff. It's the end at the moment. Um, and we are going through what I'm calling the great work from home experiment so there's definitely going to be a shift to digital again but I don't think that the office is dead I do think that the office is going to continue to be a reality just slightly different configuration and um, I think things like in-house gyms and canteens will temporarily be closed but they will reopen and You know, at the end of the day, we're all going to learn to live with COVID-19. I don't think the airline industry is going to survive. Uh, I don't think a single airline company could survive a prolonged period where everybody is flying planes with, you know, six or seven passengers on the plane uh, because of social distancing. And in the same way, I think the office sector will come around and start to get used to living with COVID-19 and one of the areas that i do think that is going to actually do well which is i guess you could say slightly contrarian at the moment is the whole co-working and flexible office space now at the moment that entire sector is really struggling because everyone had short-term commitments and this is one of the biggest problems with that industry is that you sign a long-term lease but you have short-term commitments from your members But that is one of the reasons why these things are going to come back. With all of the uncertainty around offices, I think there's a good chance that new leases will be avoided by tenants. They will not want to commit to a five-year or a 10-year lease. And instead, what they'll be thinking to do is, why don't we just go and take space at the local WeWork or some sort of co-working space in the nearby area and that way they can actually end up with just so many desks that they need and if they want they can close that down within a month's notice and if everyone had to start working from home they can all go home now right now the problem is is that social distancing is making the office use very difficult but i think like i've just seen a video from on sky news yesterday and it was a London bus and people getting off and there was the, ba- the bus was clearly packed with people. And I think that's gonna be a problem, but people are gonna to have to learn. I mean, tube trains and subway trains and public bus service, those are not gonna operate very long with social distancing. You know, a bus driver telling 60 passengers standing outside, sorry, I can only take five of you. That is just not gonna go down. And so I think the use of masks, gloves, uh, hand sanitizer, and various partitions and things like that. That is going to get people back to work. And I think the culture of a business is driven by the office environment. And everybody working from home is not realistic from a cultural point of view. I think it will be very problematic for the companies. Uh, There will be a lack of culture and I'm already hearing about Amazon have announced a huge investment the entire year's profits of 4 billion are being pumped back into looking at how to deal with COVID-19 so I can expect Amazon will have tons of measures that actually guarantee that they'll have a COVID-19 free environment whether that's temperature checks on the way in hand sanitizers deep cleaning all of this kind of measures that are required But that will be how these big businesses get back to work. And um, it's just a matter of how innovative you are around the solutions for that. One final area that I'm going to say that I believe is is going to be an opportunity is micro mobility. And that may not be in the real estate space, but it's actually something that I have been dealing with through my involvement in the business park I run. And we have a situation at the moment where we have about 9,000 people a day turning up for work and only 2500 car spaces so the vast majority of people arriving there arrive by public transport or on foot or on bike and the, the people that arrive by public transport get off a train we call it the dart here in Dublin or they get off a tram line called the Lewis. When they get off these forms of transport they usually have our shuttle buses waiting for them at the door and we have the social distancing issue to worry about we're talking about a bus that would normally take 40 people we're being told that the most that we can accommodate is six people on the bus and the double deck buses that we have that normally take 90 people we're being told can take a max of 15. and so this is a major problem i can imagine when everybody comes back to work If you've got 90 people standing at the bus stop and the bus driver has to tell them only the first 15 will get in, that's not going to be a welcome development. So we have started looking at solutions and micro mobility is one possible solution where if we could create a bank of, say, scooters or electric bicycles or just shareable uh, street bikes, this will be a solution that, I mean, it's only five minutes away from the train station on a bike, but on foot it's 15 to 20 minutes and some people just don't want to do that in the rain. So micromobility is an area that I think w- could well explode from this and from people just not wishing to take public transport and looking for alternatives. And uh, so that is my prediction. Now, actually, on that very topic, um, in a subsequent podcast episode i'm actually speaking to a chap called thomas o'connell i think his name is and he runs a startup that is doing shareable electric bikes and i interviewed thomas recently for the podcast just to talk about the pivot that he had to do and the resourcefulness required to survive during COVID-19 because his entire launch that he planned had to be postponed because of COVID-19. His service has been put on hold and there's a whole lot of issues that the guy has which could have killed the business dead in the water. And so I had a chat with him about being innovative, thinking outside the box, And I think for real estate listeners, you will be interested in listening to this because we actually go into the repurposing of car parking businesses and various other things. And he has a lot of ideas on this because of the growth of micro mobility. So I think that's it, guys. I just wanted to thank you all who are listening for for doing so. And uh, I really appreciate every single one of you. And I'd love to actually hear from you guys if you would mind finding me on social media. If you're looking for me on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook, I'm Gavin J. Gallagher. The J is important. You'll also find me on Instagram under the name PropTech.tv. And if you just want to just say you've listened to the podcast, where you're listening in from. So if you're listening from Dublin, London, wherever you're listening from, let me know where you're listening from. I'd love to know and also if you want any topics that you'd like me to cover that you think would be worth hearing my views on please by all means let me know as well i'd be delighted to have some ideas of content that you'd be interested in hearing lastly guys if you don't mind would you please share out this episode uh, with anyone you feel would benefit from it and just get the word around that uh, behind the facade is a podcast worth listening to okay guys talk to you next week